Hey, let's just start. Let's just pray together. Will you pray with me? So God, we uh, come into this uh, room today um, to hear from you. Um, we come in here, we bring a lot of things in here. We bring a lot of ideas about you, versions of you, definitions of you. And some of us are right on the money. And some of us, we've been sold a bad version of you. And we're trying to figure out what you're really like. And so here early in, uh, in this, this new year, we're putting some things under review. And... Um, the most important parts of our life. So we're going to ask what we always ask every time we come into a place like this. Will you, as only you can do, will you teach us something about yourself, something about your son Jesus, connect that to real life so when we leave here at the end of this time, it makes a difference. It makes a difference in how we live our lives. That's what we're looking for. So that's our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, really glad you're here. Um, hey, uh, real, real quick, Joe, Joe had a new baby for Christmas. Give it up for Joe. Way to go. He did good, right. He didn't have a baby, Becky had a baby, but you know what I mean by that, right? It's, it's, it's all good. So, hey, last night, um, I almost worked into the prayer. I prayed that a Flatirons person won the Powerball. I don't know if you did or not, but uh, somebody actually came in to me and said, so would you really take $900 million? That's the stupidest question ever. It's like, absolutely, absolutely. I'd use it for Jesus, but you know, I'm just telling you. So if, if you won the Powerball last night, you better tithe. That's all I'm saying about that. And um, but uh, anyway, hey, it's good. It's good. I've been off for like two or three weeks. It's good being back here. I, I love vacation. I love holidays and stuff like that. But let's be honest, especially parents. Aren't you glad they went back to school, really? Um, I mean, it's, it's really good. You almost had a snow day. And aren't you glad your mother-in-law went home? Uh, honest, okay? I mean, we love our parents and stuff like that. But you don't have to see them until like Thanksgiving. It's great. So, hey, I got to tell you. I'll tell you about uh, uh, The other thing is that I got a really bad cold. I got a sinus infection. So I'm going to chew gum today. So don't email me going, you know, it's really rude to chew gum and speak. Shut up. Happy New Year. All right? So, uh, so it's either that or I dry out. So anyway, I want to tell you about my favorite uh, Christmas present I got th this year. I dropped a lot of hints and finally somebody picked up on one. I got a squatty potty for Christmas. Did anybody else get one? Did anybody else get one? No, but I'm the only one. All right, right? They come in seven and it's nice. So, so some of you don't know what that is, but I'm going to tell you about it, right? It's this little footstool that goes in front of your toilet, all right? That when you sit down, your feet are up higher, which changes your entire angle of approach. And I was skeptical. I, I was skeptical, but it's fantastic. It's, 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 I, I, I love the commercial, all right? So, so write this down, squattypotty.com. It's the best commercial online ever, all right? And they have the best sales pitch ever. This, this, is, this is great marketing. Here's, here's their sales pitch. If you are a human being and poop out of your butt, try Squatty Potty. That's good marketing. <laughs> that's, that's just good. I mean, it's, it's really, really, really good. And it's biblical. <laughs> so hang with me, all right, all right? Jesus told us to repent. Remember what repent means? Rethink how you think about everything. So if everything means everything, then you ought to rethink the way you sit on a toilet. I did, and it works, all right? Four or five times a day, it works, all right? So I love it so much, I ordered a second one. I have, I have two squatty potty. I have one in my office now. I can squatty potty everywhere, all right? So it's so great. It's so great. Now let's talk about Jesus, all right? So that's a transitional statement. All right, I should sell space like a NASCAR hood right here. Squattypotty.com. You should do that. All right, so, um, so let's, let's talk about God. All right, so anyway, Scott, Scott kicked off this, this under-review series last week and with a challenge that, that goes like this. Just like in a football game or a baseball game or just about any other sport around today, sometimes in order to get the call right, all right, something happens, in order to get that call right, which will determine how the rest of the game goes or who might win or lose, you know, uh, but, but you have to kind of stop, call a timeout and go, let's look at that again. Let's make sure that we got that right. And if we didn't get it right, then let's make whatever changes we have to make 
so that, so that, so that we can continue right, for, from, a better, for, from, from now on, all right? And so you look at it, you make the adjustments, and then the ref blows the whistle, and then the game goes on, right? So as I'm looking at that, it's not just sports that, that we need to put under review. All right? I, I've been thinking about different things that we really need to pay attention to, like, like this one. For, for anybody who is in the military, men or women, we have a lot of military men and women here, all right? Or if you hunt, all right? Don't email me. It's awesome. All right, so anyway, but sometimes you have to put, you know, how you shoot un, under review because some scopes, like on your, on your rifle, some are in minutes of angle and some of them are in mil dots, all right? And if you think, if you got it wrong and you think you have a different scope on your rifle, you won't hit your target. No, no, it doesn't matter. It, not because you're a bad shot. You might be the best shot in the world, but if you're, if, you're, if you're working off the wrong scope, you won't hit it. Not because you're a bad person, not because you're stupid, but because you're making assumptions about and operating off something that's different than reality, I thought it was this way, and actually it's, it's being measured totally different. So before you pull that trigger, if you want to hit your target, you better put it under review. Uh, here, here's another one, all right? In Gaithersburg, Maryland, I, I Google this. You can Google this later if you don't believe me. There is the United States Office of Weights and Measures. Did you know we had one of those? It's in Maryland, all right? Let's go figure, all right? So, and there, if you go there, you will find the official standard, like the exact example of what really is one pound. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. You can go to Maryland and they'll go, this is exactly one pound or this is exactly one inch or this is one foot. And against that standard, every ruler or every tape measure you buy down at Home Depot is compared to that. And here's why this is so important because if you try to build a house where one person says, well, I think an inch ought to be this and somebody else is working on the same house and they say, well, I think an inch ought to be something different, it won't work. It won't work. Why? Because you have two people trying to work on the same thing, but with different definitions of what's true or, or what's real. And that's a, that's a metaphor for life. That's a parable for life, right? Last week, Scott threw out a definition of insanity. Remember this? And, and I was in here. I, a lot of you even you know, completed the, the definition before you even got it out of his mouth. Insanity is this, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, right? Why does this keep happening? Because you keep doing the same thing, right? Well, I thought it'd be different this time. Well, that's insanity. I'm gonna give you another definition I stumbled on this week. It goes like this. Here's the definition of reality. What you run into when you're wrong. <laughs> right? Take a picture of that, right? right? What you run into when you're wrong. Well, what's the saying from the great theologian, Mike Tyson? Everybody has a great plan till you get punched in the mouth, right? Oh, I knew exactly what I was doing. Boom, I have no idea, right? Because you run into reality. So we have to put things under review to make sure that we don't or that we don't continue to do the wrong thing over and over and over and end up losing the game or missing the target or buried under the rubble of a collapsed house that we thought, I thought it was okay and I was wrong. And so we gotta put things under review. So if that, all that's true, and most of us would go, well, that, that makes sense. Wouldn't it make sense to also take the biggest, most important, highest stakes, I can't risk losing it or, or missing it or seeing something collapse, take those parts of our lives and put them under review so that we don't have that horrible aha punch in the mouth moment when we run into this wall called reality because we were wrong. I thought I was right, I, 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 didn't, I didn't have it right. The plan, the truth that I was working off of, come to find out, wasn't even true. I thought it was, but I, I was way off. And so that's what we're doing for this entire month here at the beginning of the year. We're taking four areas of our life, four areas that I would call the most important parts of our life. And the reason I call them the most important parts of our life because if we get these right or wrong, it will influence how all the other hundreds of parts of our lives are, are affected. If we get it right, it will help and serve every other part of our life. But if we get these four things wrong, they have the potential to destroy every part of our life. 
So when you came in today, all right, at all three campuses, if you came in today, uh, they, they gave you a program at the door. Uh, and, and if you look down on that, and if you don't have a program, go get one now, okay? And the reason is because on that program, there's some fill in the blanks and we're gonna do audience participation later. So really just get up and go get one now, all right? But, but in your program, you're gonna see that the first area of life this week that we're gonna put under review is God. We're gonna put God under review. And let me just really clear, clear this up. We're not gonna be reviewing if there's a God. That's not what today's about. We're not going to be trying to unpack if there is a God or if, if there's not a God. No, we're going to work off the assumption or the truth that you find in the Bible that goes like this. Built into every human being, every one of us, from the beginning of time all the way up to right now in Colorado, in every one of us is an awareness of the existence and the presence of God. We, we don't have him all figured out, but like when God created us, there's an awareness in there. Romans chapter one says that there's enough to be known or can be known about God. Paul, Paul, let's just look at this. Paul writes this in Romans chapter one. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. And who's them? Us. Us, all of us sitting in this room. For what can be known about God is plain to us because God has shown it to us. How? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. We can see it. Ever since, how long? Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been what? Made. And you, you agree with that. You go to the mountains and look around and go, this is like spiritual, right? I mean, you look at the ocean, you see the birth of a child or something like that. You see these amazing things in nature and you go, this is, this is not by chance. There's something else going on here. And, and, and what, what Paul's writing to the Romans is, it's so obvious is that, look at this last sentence, they, we are without, we're without excuse, so, so again, we're not going to spend a, any, t- any time really building a case or trying to defend the existence of God. What I want to do today is I want to put under review questions like this. What do you believe is actually true about God? All right, he's, he, God is out there, right? But what do you believe is actually true about God? How do you see God? When I say God, what comes to mind for you? How do you think and believe that God sees you? And here's, here's what I found in my own life is that many of the beliefs that I have about God or that I hold about God, I think God's like this, they don't come out of the Bible and probably don't even come from God. Now, don't, don't leave. Let me explain that, okay, all right? Now, let me say this as clearly and as honestly as I can. I'll be really honest today, all right? Many of the things that I believe to be true about God, who he is and what he's like, what I can count on him for or can't count on him for, have very little to do with God and much more to do with me the experiences of my life, good and bad experiences of my life. And then out of those, I have kind of landed, I've come to some conclusions, and from those, I have projected some truths and definitions onto God, which may or may not be true. I might be wrong, I might, I might be right, I, I don't know. So it, it just seems wise to call a time out and, and put how I see God and how you see God under review to make sure that the version of God that I'm working off of as I run my life actually is who God really is and not something or someone that I've made up. So over, over Christmas, um, I, I, I did what I said I was going to do at our Christmas service. I binge-watched uh, all seven seasons of Sons of Anarchy. And, uh, and that song is in one of those episodes, Opie's Funeral. And uh, I'm sorry if you haven't seen that, Opie dies. But, uh, um, and I loved it. I, I liked it. It's a song about resolve. And so, uh, so I bought it on iTunes, and then I, I looked and I listened to other music that this guy, Greg Holden, had, the guy who wrote that, the other stuff that he'd written. And that song was actually inspired by the story of the Lost Boys from South Sudan, that when they were invaded, they had to run, and all their parents were killed, and, and they had to run all the way to like a thousand miles to the desert, or they'd be put in the army, even though they're eight, nine years old. But I, I'm looking at other stuff that this guy has written, and in a very short time, it was obvious that 
that, that song applied to his life too. That, that the writer's entire worldview had been shaped and influenced by a lot of controversy and conflict, especially with his father earlier in his life. And out of that, out of his upbringing, out of the way he was raised, out of the events of his life, out of his emotions, out of his conflicts, out of his discoveries, his painful failures, they all combined to create how he saw the world, his worldview, kind of a map, how he thinks about everything. And because of that, how he navigates through life. In other words, his experiences formed his life map. It's the lens through which he sees everything. And, and you, you know what I'm talking about. You, you, you live there too. I mean, how many times have we said or heard somebody else say, it's all I know? Why do you act like that? It's all I know. It's how I was raised. It's, it's the examples I had in my life. It's, how, it's, it's just all I know. I don't know how to do anything else, meaning this is the only way I know that life works. So when it comes to God, it makes sense that we tend to do the same thing to him, right? I mean, throughout the Bible, we find descriptions of God, who he is and what he's like and what he can do and what he promises to do, what we can count on him for and what he commands us to do and to not do. And again, going back to that verse we read a minute ago that, that, that says that God, the way God created us, he put within us like this, this intuitive, nobody has to teach us. We just know we're aware of the presence or and even the nature of God to the point that and I don't fully understand this, but this is what the Bible says, that even a person on the most remote island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean who never had a missionary show up, when they meet God, they'll never be able to stand before him and go, I didn't know. That would be unfair of God to hold people accountable for things that he didn't. He says, I'm gonna make enough known to you that I'm gonna be able to hold you accountable so nobody on the planet is gonna be without an excuse. But again, we're gonna be really honest. Even if I were to spend the rest of our time today reading Bible verses out, out loud or pointing to, you know, telling, look these up later about who God is and what he's like and what he promises to do. Here's what many, and I would even say most, and I would even push this ball all the way down the field. I would say, here's what every one of us would do is I start rolling off verses about God's like this and God's like this and Jesus promised to do stuff like this. Here's what every one of us would do, right? We would listen to me read those or we'd read it ourselves. And then from somewhere deep down inside, our hearts or our minds, or let's just use the, the reference, what, that, that map that, that we run our lives by. Out of that, a series of questions would come up. When you hear about, well, God's like this and God promised stuff like this. And here's the questions that will come up in your head and in your heart. They go like this, really? That's how God is? If, okay, if that's true, and here we go. Then why didn't God do that? like I needed him to, or, or if God is like that, how come that happened? Or why didn't that happen if God is like that? See, see here's something that, that most of us have in common when what we believe to be true about God and what happens in our life run into each other and we can't make them both make sense, right? We, 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 we jump to this, all right, God's like this and this is my life, there must be something wrong with God because I don't understand him. Either he can't help right, which makes him weak and undependable, I'm not going to lean on him, or he won't help, and that makes God mean and unloving, which has caused a lot of us, and some of us were right on the edge of trying to figure out what we're going to do here, it's caused a lot of us to walk away from God because we don't get him, all right, or sideline him from, from, from how we live our daily lives, or here's what a lot of us do, or at least this is what I do a lot, if there's something about God that conflicts with what I want to do or what I feel is right for me, but God has a problem with that, I just redefine God, I just recreate him into something else that lines up closer to with what I want to be true. There's something wrong with you, God, so I'll just change you and now we're cool, right? Something wrong with God, I'll just change him. Or here's the other response, there must be something wrong with me. That happened and God's supposed to be like that, so I must be wrong. I must be, I must be doing something wrong, but if I change something about myself or, or if I worked harder in my life, if I figured out the right combination, then maybe God would do what I need him to do. And we call that faith, but it's not faith. 
In reality, what we're trying to do is trying to figure out the right combination to get God to do stuff for us. And we, we all do this. I mean, we run into a problem in our life and we go, well, the last time I needed God to do something for me and it actually went well, I look back, I think right about that time I went to church three times in a row. I gave this much money in the offering. I said five prayers and everything worked out. So we try it again. I go to church this many times. I, I, I put some money in the offering and then I pray. But this time it doesn't work and we think there's something wrong. I must be doing something wrong, all right? So we go, away, we go to work to try to figure out a new combination of how to get God to do stuff for us. And so we do all that stuff, then we throw in extra stuff. And I'm going to give up drinking or tobacco or whatever that is, all right? And what we're actually doing is trying to treat God like a slot machine. If I can do it the right way and get all the cherries to line up in the right order, then somehow God will do the right thing. And I'll faith him into doing something for me. But when it doesn't work, then I conclude there's something wrong with you, God. Well, there's something wrong with me, which leads a lot of people to work really, 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 really hard, and this is what a lot of Christianity has become, I'm gonna work really, really, really hard because then God will be happy with me and then he'll do stuff for me. And it also leads to a lot of us walking away from the whole thing going, what's the point? What's what's the hope? He's gonna do what he wants to do anyway. And that's how a lot of us feel. Right? On the outside, all right? We put up this appearance or the facade of, oh, I believe in God and I trust him. He's my Lord and Savior. I even raised my hand a little bit on that second song we sang, all right? But, but, but on the inside, many of us, especially those of us who call ourselves Christians, we don't even know what we believe about God if we were honest. I mean, we're counting on Jesus to get us out of hell because he died on a cross so we can buy into all that. But, but if our life goes south later today, we have no level of comfort about what God, what we can count on God to do for us or if he's gonna take care of us this afternoon. I don't know. I think I'm on my own. That, I'm just calling out reality for a lot of Christians. So I'm going to make a statement about myself. And I'm the only reason I'm making it about myself because I'm trying to be nice, but it's about you too. All right? So, so, so if this applies to you, then apply it to you. But here's what I'm going to say about me. There's a really good chance that a number of the things that I believe to be true are wrong about many things. There's a really good high probability that some of the things in my life that I believe are true really aren't. And the reason I, I, I say that is because almost everybody I know, a lot of you all, you're wrong. I've talked to you. It's, right? you're, you're wrong about a lot of things. So it just makes sense that I'm probably wrong about some stuff too. And again, going back to Jesus, I have a high level of confidence that what I believe about who Jesus is and that I am saved by grace through faith and what he did for me on the cross, I'm in on that. But when it comes to almost everything else having to do with God, it all feels like a moving scale. And the reason I say that about myself and about everybody in my life that I know It's because of this, how we choose to live our lives by what we do and we don't do actually reveals what we believe is true about God or is not true about God, right? If you wanna know what I believe about God, if you wanna know my level of confidence in God in all the areas of my life, just follow me around for a week and you'll know. I thought you believed in God, then why are you doing that? Well, I guess I don't believe in him that much, right? In other words, actions reveal true beliefs. It doesn't matter what you say that you believe unless that belief causes you to act and do something differently because you believe that what you believe is actually true enough to risk everything and and, and hold you up. It's kind of like a bridge. It's kind of like a bridge. Do you actually believe, a bridge over that big canyon, do you actually believe that bridge can hold you and your family up and together or are you gonna get out there in the middle of it and it's gonna fall down because your level of the belief depends on if you're gonna take a step in that direction or not. It's the same way with God. Do you really believe that bridge is gonna hold you up So if that's true, actions reveal true beliefs, here's another statement, all right? At the root of every sin and fear is an unknown, incorrect, or forgotten truth of who God really is and what he's really like. Right, this got touched on this last week. The reason I'm afraid, the reason I let go of God is I don't know who he is, or I forgot who he is, or I'm, I'm working off bad information about him. He's nothing like that, but that's what they told me he was. 
But if, big if here, but if we could see God and know God as he really is, would that, or how about that? That would change everything. If you could actually see God, know God as he really is. Kind of like, wouldn't it be awesome if you go to the office of weights and measures and God and walk out of there with the right or the true definition of one inch and God? Because I could build something good then. If I, if I really, I could build something better in my life. So how do you do that in 2016 in Colorado? How do we get there? How do we know what God is really, really, really like? Well, again, we look back at that verse that says that, in Romans it says, what can be known about God is plainly available through his creation. So just look around, but at least in big, broad you know, strokes, you can go, okay, God is big and God is huge and God is creator. But as great as that is, again, I'm being honest here, that doesn't seem helpful some to, me, to me some days. Especially when life is confusing and hard and painful. I mean, you might not have prayed this before, but, but when I say this out loud, you're going to go, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Like sometimes I think to myself, well, thanks, God Almighty. Just sang that song, creator of the universe, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, deliverer of the Israelites from slavery, you know, 5,000 years ago. That's awesome. But this week I lost my job. How is that helpful? Right? I lost my job. My, my wife is leaving me. My, my, my kid's addicted. I just found out my sister's gay, and I don't know what to do, and I don't know if you're going to help me through this or what I can count on you for with what I'm facing today because it feels like I am on my own in this mess. That's my level of faith. That's my level of belief sometimes. And, and here's the thing. It, it would be great if we all had the kind of faith that immediately jumped to, well, God created the universe, so cancer is not a big deal. I wish I had that kind of faith. I wish I could could jump right to God owns the whole world, all right? So no need to be concerned about making my visa payment because I'm broke. Praise the Lord, he's got this. It's January, just wait till February, that bill's coming, all right? So, so I I mean, I wish I had faith in God's got this, God's got this, all right? And I I wish I never stressed out, but most of the time I I don't have that kind of faith. Here's the other thing is that there's part of me that goes, so God, does that make you mad at me? And the answer is no. God knew that I would have a hard time. You'd have a hard time getting our head and heart and even our faith around this big, huge, infinite concept called God. And so God, because he's so smart and he's so loving, he brought it all together and said, I, I, I'm, I'm big. I, I know I'm hard to kind of even conceive. He, so he said this. So just look at my son. Just look at my son, Jesus, and you can find all that you need to know about me. Just look at him. That's enough. Paul writes this to some, to some Christians trying to wrestle through this. They live in this little church that's just getting started in this little town called Corinth in Greece. He, he says, for God, the same God who said, let light shine out of darkness. That's like verse one of the Bible, right? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, creator God, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And where are we going to find that? In the face of who? Right? What's that mean? It means that, well, God says this. Is it the glory or the reflection of God? Hebrews chapter one, or it, says, it says that Jesus is, he's the radiance. Like if God was a light bulb, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact, not a close, an exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power, which means this, if you wanna know what God is like, which is big and huge and infinite, all right? And at what level you can trust him, here's what infinite God says. Just look at that man, Jesus. Just, just look at him. Listen to what he has to say. Watch what he did, how he treated people, what he said was true about me, what he believed about me. See, and this is going to ruffle some of your feathers, but pray through. This should be all right, all right? I, I talk to people all the time. This is part of my job. I get it. I have this in the lobby. I have this through email. I get stuck on a plane with conversations like this all the time about why they don't believe in God. 
They, if they find out I'm a pastor, I'm like, well, thank you. Let me tell you why I don't believe in God. And the answer, I mean, the arguments go the entire gamut, all right? And you've used some of these before. I mean, I've, had, I've, had, I've been trapped in the, in the, the window seat, you know. I had a guy say, well, I just, you know, I just can't believe in God. I can't believe in that whole six-day creation. It doesn't match up with science. Okay. Or how about this? I, I don't understand how or why God would flood the earth and two, two animals on a boat, that doesn't make sense. Or, or how about this? I, I don't know why God would say that or do something like that. I don't know why he'd create people like that and then condemn them for it. I mean, which usually leads to a conversation about how organized religion has caused so many wars and hurt so many people. That's a long plane ride, right? right? And, and by the way, I agree with all that stuff. That's really confusing. Now, listen, I, I, I don't want to be rude or insensitive. That's more Scott. So I... I <laughs> <laughs> He's out of town. He won't hear that till Monday. <laughs> and, I, and I'm sure that all those conversations and all those, you know, uh, that, that they're worthy and they're important. And we need to have those someday. But sometimes when people, you know, just machine gunning me with, and here's why I don't believe in God. Here's why. I, sometimes I just want to go, I call BS. So you're saying, let me just get this right. So you're saying that the reason you don't believe in Jesus Christ is the Crusades? Real, that's, that's your hang-up. But if you could, how about this? If you could figure out the creation evolution thing, that's your, that's your sticking point. But if you could figure it out, then you'd put your faith in, in, in Jesus Christ. If it wasn't for the whole carbon dating thing that's got you all messed up, or that bone fragment they found in Africa that kind of looks like a, a person, but kind of looks like a giraffe, so that must be the missing link. So the Bible must be wrong, therefore I can't believe in Jesus. Really? Really? When you say it out loud, it, it's just like, wouldn't it, how about this? Wouldn't it be more accurate to just say, I don't know. I, I don't understand it. Wouldn't it be more honest to say, listen, there's something inside of me, all right, that, that just knows there's something or someone that did all this, all right, someone out there, all right, but it scares me to even think about it. That's honest. Freaks me out to think about there, there's a God because if it's true, and here's where a lot of us go when we think about God, if it's true, if there is a God, I, I, I could never live up to someone like that. So I avoid seriously or deeply considering what God is like because I know me and the idea of, of there's a God and he knows me too, that would not go well for me. And that's, that's a big chunk of my life, high school and college, my early 20s. I just didn't look up. Like, because that conversation won't go well. Because I know me really, really well. So just look straight ahead and uh, he's not there, he's not there, he's not there, right? I mean, it'd be, how, how about this? All right, here's why a lot of us don't want to think about God. It'd be one more thing I put my hope in, get my hopes up for. But when I need him the most, once again, it or he will leave me empty and disappointed like everybody else in my life has done. So I'm not even gonna get my hopes up that there's a God, let alone there's one that cares about me. Or how about this? This is where a lot of us are with God. If there is a God, and I really kind of pay attention to that, that would feel very, very intrusive because if I find out what God is really like, it might mean that I have to admit that my life is disconnected from that God and I'm living very differently than what God says I ought to live and I don't wanna look into that mirror if it means that I have to change some things in my life that I don't wanna change. You know what? If, if any of those statements even come close to hitting home for you, awesome good. At least you're finally being honest about how and why you see or you avoid God in your life. See, see again, I'm going I'm to be honest. My, my goal today is not to talk you into believing something different about God than you, that you, than you had when you, when you walked in here today. That's way above my pay grade, all right? My, my goal is for you to review what you already believe to be true about God and where that might have come from, especially if it's different than what the Bible says about God or what Jesus said that he believed about God. So here's what I do want to do, all right? I, I want to give you a sneak peek at something that we officially launched this March, this value that we call intentional apprenticeship that we covered in the fall. 
And let me, let me kind of set that up, all right? Again, if you haven't got, don't have a program, you might want to grab one. It's almost audience participation time. But, but if we have any hope of growing in our understanding and maturity as people who claim to not just believe in Jesus, everybody believes in Jesus, it seems like, all right? But, but, but and a lot of people say, I want to follow Jesus. But I want more than that. I want to be the, kind, the same kind of man he was. I want to be the same kind of person that Jesus was, all right? And in order to do that, the main things I have to get, get in my life are enthralling or knowing more and more about who God is and what he promises through Jesus. I need to know him. If I'm going to follow him, I need to know who he really is. And I need to eliminate any obstacles or responses that are standing in the way of me taking hold of all that God says he wants from me. So the enthralling part is I want to know God. And the eliminating obstacle parts would be why do I have a hard time believing that's true about him? I mean, everybody else seems to be okay with that. Why do I have a hard time believing that what the Bible says is true about God really is true for me? So again, at all of our campuses, we're going to be, you know, launching this, this intentional apprenticeship. And here's what we're going to do. It'll last about five or six weeks, and you'll unpack, this is what the Bible says that God is, and then go right to him. What's standing in the way of you believing it's true, let alone changing your life and living like it's true? So today, I want to give you a sneak peek at week one. I'm not giving away the whole course. This is just a taste of what's coming, all right? So get out your programs, all right? And reach in some lady's purse and get a pen. And what she ought to give an offering. Go ahead and do that, all right? So um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, all right? Listen, so, so look at this, all right? So they're on that paper or here on the screens if you don't have a program, all right? Here's, here are four truths that you find in the Bible, concepts. And I'm not gonna throw a bunch of Bible verses out yet. You gotta go to the seminar for that, okay? So, so here are four truths you find in the Bible. First of all, God treasures me. God protects me, God has a plan for my life, and God likes me, all right? All those concepts are found cover to cover in the, in the Bible. Now, keep looking at those because, because last week Scott pointed out several Bible verses that said God never changes. So if those were in the Bible when the Bible was written, they have to be true today, right? That, 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 just, makes, that just makes sense. It's, so they have to be true. So, so look at those four statements, and here's what I want you to do. Either in your head or, or better yet, just do it right here on paper, all right? I want you to rank them. One through four, number one being the one that you believe the most. That's easy. I love that one. I believe that's true for me. And number four being the one that you have the hardest time believing could be true, at least for you. It could be true for a lot of people, but probably number four, I just can't, I can't get there. So go ahead and do that right now. Just, I'm going to stare at you. Don't stare at me. Stare at the screen. You're rebellious. Do it. All right. Figure this out. One through four. Number one, I believe that the most. And number four, I have a real hard time with that. I'm going to keep going. Now, why? Look at, look at number four. Why is that number four? Because there's a reason. There's a reason that's number four. There's a reason that that feels impossible or difficult or scary to believe or could actually be true for you. But again, if we were honest, how much of our resistance to believe that that's true has to do with who God really is and how much of it does it, ha does it have to do with our interpretation of the circumstances of our life that we've thrown on him and said, you must be like that, right? And I, I'm gonna work my way through those. I'm gonna give you some quick examples or reasons why it might be hard for us, at least for me, to believe that those are true for me. Like, like look at this one, not, not anywhere. Like, God protects me. This is a tough one for me. God protects me, Really? I'm just going to give language to some of the things that are going on in our heads right now when we read that, that on the screen, read it in the Bible. God protects me? Really? Then I got a question. Well, then where was he? Right? Where was he? When I was a kid getting the crap kicked out of me by my dad or when I was a battered wife or, or when I was falsely accused of a crime, where was he in the darkest moment of my life? Because it felt like I was on my own. 
God was not to be found. I was unprotected. You know, it always caused me to kind of wrinkle up my forehead. I, I watch a lot of TV, especially in the fall around Shark Week. I watch that a lot, right? And, and as, as I'm watching that, there's always, but on the news all the time, you turn on the news and another disaster, there's an earthquake over there, a tornado over there, a flood or whatever. And, and, and every time, somewhere in that, in that series of, of interviews, they interview somebody whose child, it's always, that's the tearjerker, whose child got attacked by the shark or whose family member was found alive under the rubble after a week. And if, they, if those people have any connection to religion at all, a lot of times they always work in that phrase, we just never gave up faith. We just never lost hope. We just believed that God would make it all worked out. God is love and God is good and God is our protector. Awesome. Awesome. That's so, so good for you. That sounds great. But, but I sit there and I, I have conversations with my TV. I really do, all right? But, but sometimes I look at the TV and go, well, what if your kid had died? What's that mean? What if your kid had gotten eaten, gotten eaten and died in the ocean and, what, and hadn't survived the, the surgery? Or, or, or you know, what, what, what had happened if, if, if they hadn't been found? Really? Or how, how about this? This is where we go all the time. If God is so good and he's such a great protector, I vote for this. Why didn't he keep the shark away in the first place? Make the tornado go over there, right? right? Why, why did he have to let cancer come into my dad's life? Why, why did he have to let depression in my house? I mean, just keep it away. That seems like a better plan of protection, right? I vote for that. And I know life is hard. I know everybody gets old and everybody eventually dies. I, I get that. That makes sense. But why did she have to die so early? Right? And why, why my baby? Why your child? Why fill in the blank, all right? This doesn't make, and here's what we sit in, doesn't, what, sense? Right, it doesn't make sense. So we conclude because it feels this way, God cannot or God will not because God did not protect me. God, God protects me? Number four. For a lot of us, right? How about this one? God treasures me. This is my big one. This is a big one, tough one for me. And I'll just personalize this. Of course God treasures me. I work hard for him. I do. And as long as I perform and produce for him at a significant level, all right? If, but if I make a mistake, if church attendance goes down, if I do something to embarrass him or you all, this church, if I get enough bad criticism through email, if this time Easter's not bigger and better than the last time, Everything's at stake and God will move on and he'll find somebody else who can do it better than me and then God will treasure somebody else and I'll be obsolete and I'll be on my own. So I better not fail. I better not slip up or make a mistake because my standing with God is on the line every day when I get out of bed. I gotta work harder and harder and harder and harder or I'll disappoint him. Anybody else feel like that? Have that conversation in their head? God likes me? God likes me? I mean, I, I know he loves me. He has to. He's God, all right? It's in the Bible. It's mandatory to be God. You have to love people, right? right? He, so, but, but like me? Here's what a lot of us are thinking. I don't even like me, right? And if God really does know all that, like the Bible says that he knows our thoughts, if God knows all the weird sick stuff that goes in my, on in my head, if God knows all the stuff in my past and the secrets that I carry right now that even the person I'm married to, my parents don't know, my kids don't know, if he knows all that, at best, God tolerates me. God puts up with me. God even might, might use me to do good things in this world. But the idea that God likes me, that God wants to be my friend or sees me the way that I look at my kids or my grandbabies, all right, that, that would be awesome. But honestly, I live my life waiting for all my current relationships to fall apart like they always do. So it's safer to think of God as some far off cosmic, the force be with you, spiritual energy rather than a personal being who actually likes me. That way it won't be so personal when it all comes crashing down, which all friendships do. God has a plan for my life. This one's hard sometimes for me to even say with a straight face. Really? Look at your life. 
right? Look around. This is God's plan for my life. It's a really, really bad plan. God's plan for my life, three failed marriages. That's God's plan. I'm in debt over my head. I got cancer. I got car wrecks. I got addiction. God has a plan. Seriously? At best, God's plan feels a lot of times random. Make it up as you go. How'd I get here? And how in the world is God going to use this for something good? And even if he could use it for something good, I can't think of anything that's worth this much pain in my life. Does any of, so, so I've covered a lot of ground. Have, has, does anything I've said out loud feel familiar to anybody? Of course it does because all of us, and if you're not, if you, if you don't admit that, you're just not being honest with yourself. All of us come to some point in our life where that is where we go with God. I just don't understand. It's confusing. So, so let's go back to a few statements that we already covered. First, actions or how we live our lives, choices we make, reveal true beliefs. Will we walk across or not? Actions reveal true beliefs, followed by there's a really good chance that a number of the things that I believe to be true are wrong about many things. And at the root of every sin and fear is an unknown, incorrect, or forgotten truth of who God really is and what he's like. Now, if all that's true, the logical conclusion would be this. But if we could, this would be so awesome, but if we could know or be reminded of the truth of who God is, not some version we got sold, but the truth of who he really is and what he really is like, if that's possible, then the sin and fear that control way too much of our lives, it just have to go away. Because the reason I'm afraid and the reason I'm controlled by this is because I don't trust him. But if I could actually see him, a lot of that stuff just has to go away. And if the best way to know God is found in the face of Jesus, then the best way to know who and what God is really like is to look at, at Jesus. I can't look at God. It's too big. I can look at Jesus. That just makes sense. Here's what a guy named Paul concluded. And Paul was a man who, he said he lived most of his life thinking, I got God figured out. I know all about God. I teach about God. I, got, I, got, I tell other people what they ought to believe about God. He knew everything he knew, needed to know about God until he bumped into Jesus. Jesus literally knocked him on the ground. He, he knocked him, right? He really did. And he, I got to rethink everything I've ever thought was true about God. And here's what Paul writes about knowing God. He says, I want to, what's the word? I want to. I want to know. I want to know you. And, that, and that's an intimate no. It's just like you know me inside and out. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I'll explain that, all right? And so somehow, I don't have this all figured out yet, but somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, I believe that somehow if I can connect and know God, the dead parts of my life can come back to life. They're dead. They can be resurrected. Then he goes on and says this, not that I have already obtained all this. I don't, I'm not there yet or have already arrived at my goal. In other words, I'm not. But I, what are the next two words? But I, that's, that's a good, that's an underliner there. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me first, I might add. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I haven't arrived. But one thing I do, this is so good. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, that's my past, and straining toward what is ahead, that's my future, I, what's the word? Press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me and you heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, all that's awesome. That, all that's great, right? But at least two phrases jump out at me in those paragraphs. First of all, this one's a little confusing. Becoming like him in his death. What's that mean? Becoming like Jesus. Does that mean we'll have to be crucified? What's, what's it mean? Well, no. But go back. Even if you've been to church once or twice, it's probably Easter. You've heard the story. How did Jesus face death? How did he face death? And here's the answer. On the worst day of his life, 
You got to give me that. The hardest day of his life with the confidence that on the other side of what was about to happen, on the other side of all the accusations, the arrest, the betrayal of all his closest friends who promised, I'll never give up on you, I'll never leave you. And then they ran for the hills when it got tough. On the other side of all the beatings and the torture and the spitting and the mocking and the humiliations, after losing everything, after being nailed to a cross and stuck in a grave that was borrowed, all right, Jesus believed he had this level of confidence. Even though he had nothing to point to and go, it's going to be okay because last time God did this. No, there, had, there was never anything to point to to go, oh, it's going to be okay because last time. There wasn't a last time. Jesus believed that on the other side of death was a God, a Father who loved him and was a God of resurrection. And that's the only way he could face what he faced. A heavenly Father who would keep his promise to not abandon him to, to death, to the, to the grave. Sorry, sorry that happened to you. You're on your own. No, I believe my Father won't leave me in this. So if we could, think about this, if we could see, if we could look at Jesus and see that kind of faith and know that that kind of confidence is possible, to have the same kind of confidence that Jesus had and, and, and see what he believed to be true about God, not a faith. Jesus did not have a faith that kept all the hard times away. They nailed him to a cross. So having a lot of faith doesn't mean all the bad stuff stays away. No, his faith was this. In the hardest of times, my father won't abandon me, even though it feels like it. If we could believe just a little bit of that, then maybe the second phrase that jumps out to me could be true for, for us as well. I love this. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I what? I press on. I keep going. The last chapter of my life has not been written. I'm not giving up. See, Scott talked about our tendency to forget God. I mean, I, I used to believe this about God. Or I used to think that was true about God. And then I let go of it. And now I took a hold of somebody else, all right? Listen, what sounds better to me is to remember God and let go of my past. I wanna, I wanna remember who God really is and let go of my past and move on into a future holding on to something that's true. So I'm done. Now, here, here's the application for this, all right? New year, new series. Here's what I want, I'm gonna ask you. Would, you. would you consider repenting? Here's what I mean by that. Rethinking some things in your life. Rethinking some really, really important things in your life. And I'm even gonna give it a time frame. Between now and the end of March, so the last weekend of March is Easter, okay? So between now and Easter, would you be willing to say, you know, I'm going to go. And I don't know if I'm going to believe it all, but I'm just going to go there and let some of it wash in. Some of it's going to stick and some of it's going to bounce off. But would you be willing to, between now and Easter, say, I'm going to be there and I'm going to do my best to set aside some of the defenses and the excuses that I've always kind of blocked God from me. I don't want to talk about it. I don't, I don't want to hear it. And would you be willing not to look for something that already proves what you already believe to be true, but to, to drop all that stuff and take an honest look at Jesus according to what Jesus said about himself. Not what your grandma said, not what your priest said, not what that last church said that Jesus like, just lay that down. Would you be willing to open up? Drop all that baggage. We all have baggage that we try to throw on Jesus because of people, not Jesus, but because of Christians or church experiences or whatever. We'd be willing to kind of lay down some conclusions of who in Jesus must be and rethink him and let him speak for himself. Now, here's the thing. So that's about two and a half months. That's a big commitment for a lot of us, all right? And at the end of that, if you go, you know what? I still haven't changed my mind. Then pick up your old belief system, your old non-belief system, right? But, but what if it's true? What if God is more and better and more loving and more forgiving and more graceful and more powerful and he actually will take care of you even when you get crucified? And he could hold you together. Wouldn't it be worth it? So let's run after Jesus.
Let's stand up. I'm going to pray, sing a song, and then we'll go home. Some of us will come back, right? Go Broncos. All right, so, God, I love you so much. God, we, uh, we're going to wrestle well, with you or with an idea about you, stuff that we've grown up with, stuff that's been pushed onto us, stuff that has landed on us. And then we took all that, and we're not dumb, we're not stupid, we're confused sometimes, but we've taken all of our conclusions and we said, you must be like that. Some of us are angry at you. Some of us just don't trust you. Some of, you, some of us hope that, that what we heard about you is really, really true. We believe it could be true for a lot of other people, but true for someone like us, that's a stretch. So God, we are gonna ask you to do as only you can do. Even Jesus says nobody can believe in God unless the, God the Father teaches him or her. So we're gonna ask you to do that over these next several weeks. Teach us about who you are and what you're like and why above everything else that this world throws at us, you alone are the one that we can lean on, that you won't move, that you'll take care of us. So God, we're, we're gonna run after your son, Jesus. So, so like we pray in here all the time, will you continue to teach us about Jesus, that he, is, that, that he is enough and that we can actually trust him to hold us up and hold us together, even in the face of crucifixion. We wanna know Jesus. It's in his name that I pray, amen.